Is it true you changed the flavor of the guacamole? No, I no, I I, I didn't change it. No, the, okay. re the recipe was already there when I got there. And it was a great recipe. Although there's a little funny story that maybe you're alluding to. We had someone knock off the Chipotle concept. Mm -hmm. The guy said, no, 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 I got it off the internet. The best leaders are the, are, are the people who most effectively give their power away. Mm. The worst leaders are the ones who most effectively keep power to themselves. Welcome to the Digital Social Hour podcast. I'm your host, Sean Kelly. I'm here with my co-host, Charlie Cavalier, and our guest today, Monty Moran. How's it going, man? Good. Good to be here. How are you guys doing? Excellent. Can't good. complain. You flew here on the jet? Well, I don't, I've don't. i got a single-engine turboprop, so it's a jet engine, but with a propeller. Okay. So it's not like, you know, the snapping suspender twin-engine jet, you know? it's How many it's does it seat? Six. Six-seater. Six? Nice. But it's super fast. It flies at 31,000 feet and, and 330 knots, which is about 380 miles an hour. Wow. So that's quick. And you said you went to maine earlier you were in europe flying it yeah well I, I i bought this one recently from the factory in france and i flew it back from france i flew northern switzerland and then mm -hmm. iceland greenland wow. and then skipped canada landed in bangor maine and then over to colorado the next day so you literally flew to france and then bought it and flew it back yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. well technically i didn't own it till we got here okay you know what i mean so i had to fly it over here and then we closed on it here <laughs> so it was cool when you want to fly somewhere you have to contact the other airport right and let them know you're coming actually you oddly enough you don't oh really uh, you just you can just get, if you want you can just get in and go but if you're flying there's two kind two ways of flying vfr and ifr so vfr is visual flight rules and there's mm -hmm. ifr which is instrument rules so if you want to fly in clouds or above eighteen thousand feet you got to be on an instrument flight plan and in that case yes you have to say i'm going from here to that airport mm. and then air traffic control tells you where to fly and you're on with them the whole time doing what they say Right, those they'll are like commercial. Vary, they'll let you vary. If you say, hey, look, I got a big thunderstorm. Let me go around it. They'll say, sure. You know? Okay. So it's very reasonable. It's those cool. are like the commercial flights, right? Well, or even my flight just, yeah, I'm, I'm flying IFR almost all the time in my plane because I wow. don't want to be below 18,000 feet because you go way slower and burn tons more fuel. Wow. And my plane burns a lot. It, you know, it burns 60 gallons an hour. Holy the jets that, you, you know, the twin engine jets, like even the small ones, they're burning three, four, five, six times that. Jeez. A lot. Uh, jets burn a lot of fuel so the airline industry must be low margin then it's usually historically been extremely low margin yeah really really bad i think that it, yeah they're really really tight because there's so much competition right right because so. especially spirit you could fly to cali from here for like 30 bucks no, yeah that's there i mean they're definitely losing money on that <laughs> there's no way they're not losing money on 30 percent chance you die also right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. but, but that means 70 percent you're totally fine yeah you'll yeah. be fine you know yeah I want to dive into your story. I know we got into flying right off the bat, yeah, yeah, but sure. I'd love to hear your story from start to where you're at now. Oh gosh, that's that's too. I mean, I'd be be a minute. Don't let me go to. Don't let me. Spark well. notes summary. What is that? Spark notes summary. Spark. Have you heard of Spark notes? No. Oh, is that like a like a super? Like yeah, we notes? had Spark notes and Cliff notes. They were Cliff notes yeah. when I was in college. Cliff so notes. That's okay. Same I am, right? thing. Like they were, <laughs> they were actually red stuff like that. Um, no, you know, I I grew up um, born in Newport, Rhode Island, but moved to Colorado when I was pretty young. Um, and uh, grew up in Boulder, Colorado. Went to, you know, went to school. Even went to CU. So I went all the way through college in Boulder, Colorado. Then moved out to LA for ten years. Mm. Lived out there. Um, was an insurance adjuster for a few years. You know, got into surfing. Um, ended up going to law school out there at Pepperdine. Mm. Uh, became a lawyer in LA. Sort of LA law thing for a few years, and then uh, moved back to Colorado to have kids. I figured it'd be a good place to raise kids, and uh, since I'd grown up there, it was kind of a nice place. So. Moved back to Colorado, joined a firm there, um, had three kids uh, who are now most uh, grown ups. My daughter's 18. She's about to flee the coop, but mm. my boys are 20, uh, 25 and 23. So 
yeah, three kids, uh, had all them in Boulder, raised them in Boulder, um, and uh, became a lawyer at a law firm in, in Denver uh, for about 10 years, became CEO of that law firm. Most, most of that time I was uh, running the law firm. Mm. And then, uh, you know, long story short, uh, made the jump over to Chipotle as president and COO, and then became co-CEO of Chipotle pretty quick. And I nice. uh, spent uh, uh, a little over 12 years there wow. at, at Chipotle. So there's a, there's a cliff notes. Yeah. I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Chipotle? That's a bit, yeah, Chipotle, right? That's a big change from law firm to Chipotle. What caused that change? Well, yeah, you know, so I did, um, as a lawyer, I was a trial lawyer, you know, mm -hmm. so I was doing mostly litigation, but I also did some transactional work, you know, like contracts, real estate, that kind of stuff. But most of what I did was representing um, folks who are either in partnership disputes or corporate litigation, uh, real estate litigation, um, did all, very broad practice, did a mm -hmm. whole bunch of stuff, but but basically was a courtroom lawyer, mm -hmm. uh, trial lawyer. Um, so I love that. It was really fun. I mean, it's, you know, super stressful. Uh, the yeah. things that I loved about it were exactly the same things I hated about it, right? right? Like super high stress, but super high excitement, right? Right. You know, super hard work, but, you know, payoffs and feeling great about winning a case. And right. you know, it's like big highs, you know, I wouldn't say big lows, but hard, you know, super stressful. But anyway, I love being a lawyer. Um, I started getting a number of clients that asked me to become like general counsel, like, hey, can you help us with this and help us with that. And I'm like, those things aren't legal and you're paying me as a lawyer. And they're like, I don't care. You're good at this, help us. So mm. my practice basically started to become more broad than really a lawyer would normally be. Mm. You know, I started handling, you know, advise, I started interviewing people for some of my clients for jobs, you know, to see if I thought they'd be good, I, you know, cause people found that I was pretty thorough at kind of vetting people. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so at Chipotle, I, um, I kind of took on more and more of a role. They asked me to get involved in the leadership uh, team, which is kind of the heads of all the departments. They asked me to come be, be at all the board meetings. Um, I started doing all the notes, like as the secretary of the company, uh, even though there was another guy who was officially the secretary, I would take the notes and help him produce them. Mm. Anyway, so eventually um, the founder of Chipotle asked me uh, to come on board and run the company. And, wow. I said, and I said no for four and a half years because I said, no, I'm a lawyer, you know. Uh, I'm not a food guy, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I'm actually, I've always been a food guy. I mean, I worked at Dairy Queen when I was 15, <laughs> but, and, and I worked at restaurants and I love food and I love to cook and huh. I'm really, really into food, but I hadn't had other than Dairy Queen and being a waiter, I, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm a lawyer. Hmm. But after about four and a half years, he said something to me that really challenged me. He said, he said, Monty, what you, you know, a lawyer is what you do, but a leader is who you are because he had come into the law firm and he, and he had seen that that uh, we built a really gr great culture at that law firm. I mean, people were, we had the hardest working law firm, but people were so really stoked. It's kind of a long story actually, but basically it was a culture of all top performing lawyers who were super, super empowered, who were mm. really into what they were doing. It was like a love festival, but also a really hardworking love festival. So we were super profitable, super profitable, um, but also having a great time. And we, you know, we, all the lawyers wanted to work for us. The firm was just really going off and I had been made the CEO of the firm. So he said, Hey man, how'd you, how'd you make this culture? This is awesome. Like I want Chipotle to be like this. Mm. Can you come to Chipotle and do it? And I'm like, nah, 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 nah. But after four, four and a half years, he said, yeah, you know, you know, you may be a, a lawyer is what you're doing, but a leader is who you are. Mm -hmm. How about come to Chipotle and you can affect a lot more lives mm -hmm. and build a culture that's going to affect a lot more people. And I said, you know, well, uh, uh, and eventually. I said, okay, you know what? I'll try it. So I made the jump over and became president and COO initially. Wow. And then shortly thereafter, CEO of Chipotle. Yeah. Incredible. I want to dive into the culture part because a lot of people struggle with building culture. It's, it's actually really hard to pull off. So yeah. what's some advice you could give for leaders looking to build better culture? Well, I mean, to be really blunt, and, and I'm only this blunt now, I, I probably wouldn't have been as blunt back when I was CEO, but you need to love the people you, you need to love the people you lead. Mm. Okay, and so that sounds so groovy, right? But love is actually subs 
substantive. It has edge. It's tough. You know, it's like, so what do I mean by love? Well, what I mean is of the people you lead, you got to, you've got to get to know them. You got to care about them. I don't mean care about them just for what they're doing for you. Care about them, period, mm. like as a human being. So you, you have to get to know them. You have to care about them. You have to come to understand them. You have to understand what they want for themselves as their personal vision in life. Mm. Forget you. What do they want? What's going to make them happy? What are their dreams that they, mm. that, you know, that they want to achieve? And you get to know that, right? And then what you do is you work with them to give them a vision that is something they want to do, you know, but that also will advance your cause. Mm. You know, so you're working, it's kind of like a meeting of the minds, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the only source of a leader's power is that somebody chooses to follow that leader. Okay, there's a huge difference between management and leadership. Mm-hmm. To me, management and leadership are, while both are methods by which to try to, you know, get something done in a company, they're, one's terrible and one's great. Okay, mm-hmm. management is about manipulation. At, at the end of the day, what management is really about is manipulating people. My definition of management is trying to get people to do what you want them to do. Getting someone to do what you want them to do. You do it by carrots and sticks and performance reviews, you know, uh, threatening to fire them or saying, hey, I'll give you more money if you do better. Hey, bonuses, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hey, you got to hit this metric and contests and competitions to try to get people to motivate, right? To motivate them. Mm-hmm. But leadership isn't about getting someone to do what you want them to do. Leadership's about getting, getting someone to do something that they want to do, which also furthers your mission, mm. you know? So for instance, at Chipotle, when I wanted to create a great culture at Chipotle, initially, the company's, um, you know, our, our sort of uh, vision statement was, you know, to change the way people think about and eat fast food, which is really mm-hmm. cool. Like, I understood that. That sounded cool. As mm-hmm. a CEO, I understood that. But as someone coming in at, you know, back then, you know, sort of a few bucks over minimum wage, maybe, do they really think they can come in and change the way th- people think about and eat fast food? Is that saying they even understand? Is that saying they care about it on day one? Well, probably not. But if I tell them, hey, you're, if you come to Chipotle, you're going to be a future leader of this company. We're going to teach you how to lead, not manage. We're going to help you become a part of a team of all top performers who are empowered to achieve really high standards. You can learn to run a multi-million dollar business. Uh, we want you to be the future of the company. We're not mm-hmm. just bringing you in for the hourly position, but we want you to be a future manager. Um, and the only reason we're hiring you, we're not hiring you just to come in here and slup around at 10 bucks an hour forever. Or now, I suppose you'd say 15, 16 bucks an hour these days, right? Mm-hmm. We're not hiring you just to come in and be a worker. We're hiring you as a future leader. We want you to come help us grow this company, which we're, by which we're trying to do some really important things in this world. So people, when people saw that, um, you know, they, they were like, wow, yeah, wow, cool. And so mm-hmm. basically what you're showing someone is, you know them, like even at the interview stage, you're interviewing someone like, they can tell the difference whether you just want to, whether you actually care about them as a person or whether you just want them to come in and do something for you. Mm-hmm. A huge difference, right? So you come in and say to someone, look, man, you know, hey, I'm really glad you're here. Tell me about you. What's going on? You know, and you just get to know them. And they know, hey, this, this person really wants to get to know me. So you get to know someone. You come to understand them. You bring vulnerability to the conversation. Um, these are the things, these are the ways that you empower a person. Mm-hmm. So I've got a definition of empowerment that I'm, that I'm really proud of, actually. It took me a while to write this back in the day when I was trying to sort of when I, was, when I was trying to institutionalize this kind of leadership at Chipotle for the 75,000 people who worked for us there, okay? Mm-hmm. So empowerment is, means feeling confident in your ability and encouraged by your circumstances, such that you feel motivated and at liberty to fully devote your talents to a purpose. Mm. So let's just dissect that for a second. Mm. First of all, it's a feeling, that's the first word. Feeling confident in your ability. So just like love, empowerment's a feeling. You mm. can't give someone empowerment by saying, you're empowered. Hey, you're empowered now. It's like, that doesn't make any difference. It's like me saying, hey, love me. Love yeah. me right now. It's yeah. like, you're going to be like, okay, you know, whatever, dude. What do you mean? <laughs> right? So, if, so if, if you want someone to love you, what do you do? You behave, right, in a way that causes you to deserve 
their love, right? <laughs> well, likewise, if you want to empower someone, what do you do? You create an environment in which they will become empowered, where they mm. will have that feeling. What is that environment? One where they're confident in their ability, and that part's the part that almost everyone spends all their time on, and it's the easiest part, and it's the least important, but it's still important. Confident in their ability just means training. They know what they're doing, they got the tools to do it, they can be successful. Confident in your ability, okay? Um, the first time you did this podcast, you probably weren't that confident in your ability. No. You're probably a little shaky. Is this right? And people are going to think I'm a dork, you know, right? There's nervousness. <laughs> yeah. But after a while, you're like, hey, I know how to do it. I know where to put the mic. I know how to set it up. People are kind of digging what I'm doing. I'm confident in my ability. Mm -hmm. But what does it take for you to be encouraged by your circumstances as an employee? Your boss has to uh, give you their attention, know you, care about you, be willing to challenge you, want you to be at your best. And mm -hmm. they, have to, they have to have a vision that you believe in. You have to believe they're going to take you to a better place. Right. So if you're in an environment like that, and what's the place that all of us, hopefully, growing up, had that feeling of empowerment. Hopefully. Hopefully with our parents. Hopefully right. our parents gave us an environment where we were confident in our ability, but also encouraged, like, hey, man, whatever I do, they love me. Whatever I do, they're going to feed me. Whatever I do, they're going to help me point me in the right direction. And if I'm, you know, come home at 13 with a glass of scotch in one hand and a joint in the other, they'll probably point me in a different direction. You know what I mean? They're, if they care about me. Now, yeah. a lot of parents aren't good parents. Let's be, let's be clear about that. Yeah. But the best parents are the parents that teach a child uh, that, 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 uh, cause a child to feel confident in their ability and encouraged by their circumstances, such that that child feels motivated and at liberty to fully devote his talents to his life, to, mm. to grow, to blossom, to be something wonderful. That's what a great parent does. That's exactly what a great CEO does. It's a great what a great supervisor does, what a great boss, quote unquote, does. It's the same. It's no mm. difference. What a great coach does. You know, we were just talking about new coach at CU. Well, what's the goal of that coach? You know, to, to put a team on the field that's confident in their ability, that's excellent, that has top performers on it mm -hmm. and that feels encouraged by their circumstances such that they want for themselves to go win football games not just to win for the coach but to win for themselves you know because it's their vision yeah you'll fight way harder for i mean right now this is you know you guys do this podcast it's yours right so it's a little different it's your vision you're doing what you want to do mm -hmm. but if you're doing this for a, for a boss right now and the boss was superb, like a leader, and you and they gave you a vision, you'd probably feel just as much a sense of ownership over it. Mm. But if you did it for a boss who was like, look, do it, get the ratings up, we need more money out of this, you'd kind of be like, that's your vision, dude. That's not what makes me thrive every day. Right. That doesn't light me up. Yeah. To make you money, it's not working for me. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it has to be like, as your leader, if I was your leader, I have to find out, you know, what's Sean about? Like, what's his deal? What makes him click? What does he want with his life? Mm -hmm. Is there something you want badly that when that, that you can do along with me that will help both of us achieve something great? Well, that's what we that's what we did at Chipotle. Mm -hmm. We showed the 75,000 people that, hey, there, you know, this place can be is going to be a beautiful place for you to grow, to blossom, to develop and to become the best version of yourself. Right. That's a lot of people to manage. That's yeah. It, that's, uh, and it's funny you just said that. It's too many people to manage. Mm. Because to manage them means to manipulate them. And that's a lot of manipulation. Okay. But it's not too many people to lead. Mm. Okay. Because leadership's way more powerful. Leadership is about giving away your power, and management is about retaining power. So you don't like the word manage? I don't like, I don't like it at all. Mm. But the word doesn't bother me as much. I mean, at Chipotle, we had general managers, right? That's, that was the title. Yeah. Although, long story, we created the restaurateur program, which was a much more which is a more prestigious position, but at the same, it's the same position, but the restaurateur was someone who led instead mm. of managing. So, so management leadership, yeah, I don't like the word management. I don't like, it's not that I don't like the word, right? Like you can say like, hey, I managed to change my tire today. Right. I don't mind the word, <laughs> okay? But the word management as used when people say like, hey, you know, I wanna, I, I gotta manage, you, know, you gotta manage people well, you gotta hold them accountable. I hate that, hold them accountable? Mm. Why would you ever have to hold someone accountable? Why would you have to hold someone accountable? Basically, because they don't wanna do it. Right. 
right? Yeah. Like, I don't have to. What's your favorite food? Ooh, ice cream. Okay. <laughs> I do not have to hold you accountable to eat a bowl of ice, ice cream. You have to hold me accountable to not eat a bowl. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you get a 10-year-old kid, and he's got a birthday cake in front of him, and he blows out the candles. You don't have to hold him accountable to eat a piece. Yeah. Mm. Right? He wants to eat a piece. No. So why can't you also, in the context of a business, cause, you know, give your people a vision that is sexy and wonderful and exciting, mm. such that they want to do it? Right. If you can't do that, then you're stuck managing your whole life, which mm. means you're stuck trying to manipulate people. Wow. And guess what? Long-term manipulation, it doesn't work. No. People resent it. It ultimately backfires. It doesn't work. Wow. So it's about making your employees feel free. Yes. It's about, it's about offering, it's, it's about putting your employees in an environment, in a situation where they will do, they want to do something for themselves, mm. which also happens to advance the business. For themselves, because humans humans are naturally selfish. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, and, I mean, I, yeah, I don't think selfish is bad, right? Selfish, yeah. if you have the right, if you're selfish for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. I think selfishness is great if you look at it in this context. You know, I think it is in everyone's best interest to be the best person they can to other people. I think if you are selfish and intelligent, you will try to do the best you can for other people in this world. Mm. Because I have a saying that I said at Chipotle and I said it at my law firm. And this is my foundational principle for my life. And I think it should be everyone's financial, I mean financial, I think it should be, <laughs> it's funny. I think I think it should be everyone's foundational principle for their lives because I think it's the most important thing for any of us. And that is that, is this, here's my kind of rule of life. Each of us in this lifetime will be rewarded based on our effectiveness in making the people around us better. Okay, that's what's gonna cause you to be rewarded, you to be rewarded, anyone to be rewarded mm -hmm. in a way that really matters. Mm -hmm. So each of us will be rewarded based on our effectiveness in making the people around us better. And if you look at anyone in the world who's been highly admired over the years, you know, you could pick Jesus or Buddha or Mahatma Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King or whoever comes to your mind, what are all those people so highly, why are they so highly regarded? Because they spent the bulk of the thrust of their lives, the bulk of their time trying to make other, do something good for humanity or, or, or others. Mm. You know, that's what they were primarily occupied with mm. was the act of making other people better. And guess what? They're heroes, right? They're, or, you know, you, you can decide who the hero or not, but they're very admired people, right. you know? Um, and so that which is most admirable, admirable for anyone <clears throat> is to help other people, mm. right? Yeah. And also it happens to be what makes people wealthy is to help other people. What makes people happy is to help other people. What makes people find contentment in life is to help other people. Mm. And there is no nothing else that makes you happy in life, in my opinion, not long-term. Wow. I mean, the day you buy a Ferrari, you're, you're stoked for a few days, right? Yeah. Cool, I've got a Ferrari. You know, the, you know, maybe a woman or, you know, buys a piece of jewelry she loves. It makes her a guy for that matter, you know, mm -hmm. makes them happy for a few days. Um, but the, all those little accomplishments, all those things that we do for ourselves, just for ourselves, those are, the, the, the pleasure we get from that is fleeting. Mm. It goes away. It's wow. kind of like climbing Everest even, right? If you're a mountain climber and you wanted to climb Everest and you, you know, train for it for two years, you go up there and you plant the flag and you're like, yes. But what do you feel 20 seconds, 30 seconds, or at least 20 minutes or 30 minutes beside, well, let's say you get down from Everest. <laughs> okay, now you're two days later. How do you feel? Now what? Now what? That's exactly what you're thinking because mm. that achievement, even though it's cool and I'm not knocking it, that's super cool. Like yeah, I admire, I'm not climbing Everest. I admire someone either. going yeah. up Everest. That's cool, yeah. right? I like that. But let's just say, does that cause them to be happy for life? They're just going to glow and bask in that accomplishment for life. It doesn't work that way. Mm. You know, it doesn't work that way. Wow. Um, but if you go do something for someone else that by which you help someone else have a better life, there's a lasting glow that comes from that. Mm. And when you keep, when you, you know, when you keep doing that. So that's why I say leaders, 
The best leaders are the, are, are the people who most effectively give their power away. Mm. The worst leaders are the ones who most effectively keep power to themselves. The best leaders give their power away such that the people around them get better. Wow. And as those people around them that get, get better and rise up and accomplish more and more and more, that they, they go, ah, this is nice. This reflects, you know, I feel good that I've been able to empower all those people to rise up. And also, guess what happens to those people? You know, I used to always say at Chipotle, if you want to really be really successful here, make the people around you better. Because mm. that was our definition of top performer. I gave you the definition of empowerment. My definition of top performer there was a top performer is someone who has the desire and ability to perform excellent work. And through their constant effort to do so, elevates themselves, the people around them, and the company. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you're, there's this concept of not only, so if you boil it down, it means does great work and makes others better. Two things, does great work, makes others better. So I just let it be known at Chipotle, at my law firm, and anywhere else I work, that hey, if you do something really, really, really well, personally, you're a great doer, that's cool, that's awesome. That means you're a great doer. It doesn't mean you're a top performer. To be a top performer, you have to be a great doer, do great work, but also have a positive influence on those people around you. And if you're at a growing business and you don't do that, then how are you gonna grow? How mm. are you gonna train new people? And at Chipotle, we needed to, we needed to train tens of hundreds of thousands a year of new people. Right. To, you know, we need to bring them in and train them and, and move them into management positions. Yeah, you're constantly dealing with new people. One of the skills you developed was reading body language and nonverbal cues. Big time, yeah. What can you learn about someone from that? Whew, so much. You know, communication to me, when people think of communication, they usually think of the spoken word, right? Like mm -hmm. someone's listening to the podcast and we're speaking and they're hearing it and that's the communication, right? But the reality is, to me, I think if you really wanna understand somebody, you have to be careful not to listen too carefully to their words, mm. not to listen too carefully to their words, because words, we are all sociologically designed to be, at least in some regards, a bit deceptive. Mm. How are you doing today, Sean? If you're having a crappy day right now, you're gonna say pretty good. Because <laughs> you're not, yeah. you know, it's not socially normal for you to say, actually, I'm having a terrible day, right. stuck. How are you though? No, no, everyone goes, good, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, how are you? That's what we <laughs> say, right? No one goes shitty, even unless you're a good, good friend, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You might say I'm shitty, but whatever, you know? But we're all, we all learn to deceive with our words in thousands of little ways, um, you know, and, but we're not as good at deceiving with our posture, mm. with our pace of speech, with our uh, body language, with our eye contact, with 30 other, I wrote about all this in my first book, but in my last, towards the very end, the second to last chapter is about communication. So I think if you want to be a really good communicator and really understand someone, do not pay too much attention to the words they're saying. Wow. I'll give you an example. So I used to do, I did like 25,000 interviews of crew people at Chipotle to understand how the leadership was going into and to promote or not promote their boss to restaurateur. And, and, you know, so a lot of times I would say, hey, so how, how is it working with, you know, let's say Bill, let's say the manager's name is Bill, and I want to find out how effective Bill is in terms mm. of being a leader. Well, how is it working for Bill? A lot of times they'd be like, oh, it's pretty good. Now, if they said it just like that, oh, it's pretty good. I would say, oh, so why, why didn't you like it? <laughs> they'd be like, no, 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 I know. I said it's pretty good. I said, nah, I know that's what you said, but it's not what you meant. Mm. You meant that it's just okay. There's something missing, something you don't like. I'd love to hear about what you don't like. And they'd be like, okay, well, I'll tell you what, here's what I don't like. And I was never wrong. Wow. Because the tone is so much more important. I mean, think about saying, I love you. Let's just say, I want to tell you I love you. Listen to the t difference in these two tones, you know? I love you, or I love you. I mean, those are hugely different meanings, right. you know, right? Just by tone. 
Well, so and it's just the way it is. We're, the way we speak to people, the way whether we speak fast or slow, excitedly or not excitedly, those things are conveying so much information, mm. and they are very difficult. It's very difficult to lie with those things. That's why actors and actresses are paid so much money. They learn to bring all of it together mm. to play a role, right? That's a fictitious role. That's not really who they are, right? You could get an actor, for instance, who's an introvert. But who plays an extrovert very very well right but in order to do that they can't just say lots of words they have to have a body tone and a, to be a great actor or a great actress i guess that's a that term is passe now they're all actors aren't they um but uh but if you want to be a great actor um you need to be able to match your words with the body language and intonation and pace and, and so forth that, that conveys a convincing character mm. well the rest of us who aren't you know academy award-winning actors Get, we're pretty easy to understand. And that's yeah. why the best poker players in the world are watching people like a hawk. You know, you know, if you go, if you go raise you five thousand, right? You're looking all bold. You have to ask, what's that person trying to convey? They're trying to convey they're strong. Why would mm. they try to convey they're strong? If they're that strong, do they really want me to think they're strong? Mm. I love poker. I love it. It's I love it. It's yeah. such a wonderful like. It's such a wonderful way to understand people better. You'd probably be good at it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good poker player. I mean, I've been around some 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 of the best in the world, and so I'm I say it carefully. But yeah, I'm a pretty good player. Um, but if I'm if I am a good player, it's because I'm really good at reading people, mm. and I can, um, you know, uh, and, and it's based on all those things that are. It certainly isn't based on what they say. Okay, it's like what they say is probably going to be deceptive. Right. Although sometimes they'll say something absolutely true with the hope that you'll double get, you'll second guess it and think, yeah, you're yeah, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's a game. It's a funny, it's funny that way. Nice. So much of, you know, your guiding philosophy is based around one-on-one -on -one relationships, empowering individuals, creating culture. What roadblocks has remote working created to sort of implementing a lot of the things that you firmly believe in? No, I think a lot, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I feel lucky that that wasn't really an issue when I was still, you know, CEO of Chipotle or CEO of my law firm. I think it's really tough and a lot of people are coming to me you know just in my consulting capacity and saying hey what can we do you know and i think the answer is you actually have to get out and get with people mm. like i say if you just listen to someone's words now a zoom call is a little better because you get to see some yeah. right you get to see their face and you get to hear their tone and there's more than uh, there's a little more you can pick up but also just being in person there's just a million things mm -hmm. i mean there's a there literally just so many little micro bits of information that are being transmitted that might cause me to be able to say in person to you um hey sean you know i are you okay? You know, it seems like something's bothering you today. Mm. Now, what's really cool about this is let's say I don't even know you that well, which I don't know you that well. I met you today. Okay, so, but let's say that I got the sense you were kind of bummed out when I walked in the door today. I say, hey, Sean, and you said, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, good, how are you? And you said, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good, you know? Mm -hmm. I might say, hey, what's wrong? Are you okay? Now, if I, in other words, I, I didn't really listen to what you said because you said you're okay. And I said, are you, are you sure? Seems like something's wrong. Let's say I'm right that something is wrong. So let's say basically I called you, right? Mm -hmm. You tried to say you're okay. I didn't believe you. That's what's really going on, isn't it? Mm. Like if I say, hey, how are you doing, Sean? And you go, pretty good. And I go, oh, you're not good. What's wrong? Even if I've never met you before. Right. Now you might say it's being a bit nosy. It's being a bit bold. But also, isn't it being a bit loving for me to actually give a shit? Mm. So what happens is when I challenge someone or overrule their words in favor of what I know they're really saying, it actually is highly complimentary. Mm. It shows that I'm going deeper, that I care, that I'm looking, that I that I want to know what they're really thinking. Right. You know what I mean? So again, back to the manager example. Hey, Charlie, hey, what do you think of your ma manager, Betsy? You know, and if you go, yeah, she, yeah, she's, you know, she's pretty good. I mean, that answer for sure means you do not think she's very right. good. Because what it sounds like when you think she's awesome is you'll say, oh, Betsy's awesome, man. Yeah. She's so cool. Like she brought me in here. She taught me a lot. She helps me. 
it'll sound like that. And it just will, right? If someone's really making you better, empowering you, cares about you, helping lift you up, wants you to be at your best, is challenging you to be the best version of yourself, it's gonna come out, boom, like a cannonball yeah. out of your answer. It just will. And I've done it, you know, 25,000 times and I've seen what great looks like. So if someone goes, and they might even say, they might even say, oh, she's so great. She's great. <laughs> and I'll be like, wow, that tone doesn't sound like she's great at all. So tell me what's not so great. Mm. No, I said she's great. Yeah, no, you didn't. That's not, that's what your words said. But that's not what your body said. So tell me what's going on. Like, so I got this reputation at Chipotle and I think I have a reputation with everyone who knows me. Don't bother me. But, you know, right? Because I'm going to see through it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that as like some, I'm some great guy. I'm just, I care a lot about that stuff. I notice stuff like that. I look at body language, intonation, tone. I care about people and I, and I want to know what's really going on. Like wow. I'm a total, like the, with the term, what ferreting out. I want to ferret out what's really going on with you. Mm. Even if I don't know you well, maybe especially if I don't know you well, because I'll be like, Hey, wait, there's something with this dude. I don't quite understand. I'll be like, I want to get to know you. I want to understand what makes you tick. It's just, mm -hmm. that's my passion is understanding people. Wow. So since that's my passion, I dig. I dig early, I dig deep. And you might think that's offensive, but actually most people really like when someone digs because what does it mean? It means you care, mm -hmm. Yeah. right? If I'm curious about you, like if I just go, wow, you know, Charlie, good to know you. So now I'm asking you questions about you. It feels like, hey, this guy kind of wants to get to know me. That's flattering, Yeah. right? It just is. You're taking the time. Right, yeah. If someone walks by you on a street and doesn't look you in the eye, you know, if it's just two of you on a street and a small town in America to walk by each other without looking at each other. And I would be kind of weird, right? Yeah. It'd be like an intentional snub, mm -hmm. you know, maybe not in New York with a thousand people. You just go, okay, I can't <laughs> look at all these people. It's crazy. Right. Or in LA, whatever, Chicago. But if you're the only two people in a, in a you know, tumbleweed town and you're walking a hundred yards towards me and hundred towards you, we we're going to say like, Hey dude, Hey, how are you doing? Hey, mm -hmm. pretty good. Right. Cause otherwise it's offensive. Yeah. Right. You're, it's a statement to not look at you. Right. Yeah. Like, I'm not gonna look at this guy. Like I'm really not gonna, you know? <laughs> and so anyway, that's what I, that's what turns me on is really understanding yeah. people and getting to know them. And when you do that, the nice thing about it, it really turns, it turns everyone on to get to be no, yeah. cause everyone in this world wants the same thing. Everyone wants to be seen, valued, understood, and loved. Like everyone wants that. There's no one in the world who doesn't want that. Mm. Everyone wants to be seen, valued, understood, and loved. Even some introvert who's home and not wanting to be outside, they really do want to be seen, valued, loved, and understood, but they have fear that maybe makes them not go outside because they don't want to be, what don't they want? They don't want to be rejected, judged, misunderstood, not, you know, devalued, mm -hmm. right? But everyone wants to be seen, valued, loved, and understood. Absolutely. And so how do you go about that? Well, the answer is people are going about it in four, you know, in four, in eight billion different ways, mm -hmm. some which are very effective, some which are very ineffective. Right. And so, um, and I think, you know, as, as a really good leader, I think you, you want to help people go about that in a way that yeah. is effective. Is it true you changed the flavor of the guacamole? No, I, no, I, I, I didn't change it. No, the, okay. re the recipe was already there when I got there and it was a great recipe. Although there's a little funny story that maybe you're alluding to. We had someone knock off the Chipotle concept. Yeah. It was actually here in Vegas. Oh. It, it resulted in a lawsuit. It was a long time ago. Um, but somebody basically knocked off our concept. And, and so we, Chipotle filed a lawsuit saying, hey, you know, you, you stole our, our trade secrets and so forth, which are like our recipe and stuff. Mm -hmm. And the guy said, no, 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 I got it off the internet. So we did discovery and we said, well, show us where you got it off the internet. And he showed us the recipe from the internet. Mm. And the recipe, the recipe from the internet showed that the guacamole contained garlic. Chipotle's guacamole does not contain garlic. Mm. In fact, one of the secret ingredients of Chipotle's guacamole, you know, was the absence of garlic. <laughs> and so the fact that they, and so we went and took their guacamole from their restaurant and, and did it, put it through sample, you know, put it through a test to find out what it contained. And guess what? No garlic. 
So they said, here's the recipe, which contained garlic. And that's, they said, that's how we make our guacamole. And then we went and got their guac and said, no, it isn't how you make your guac. <laughs> so they did have our real recipe. Wow. And so it was how, that's how we proved that they had stolen it from us. Anyway, it's kind of a funny story. Wow. Interesting. What do you think about seed oils? Because Chipotle is one of the first fast food brands to announce they're removing it. Are you a fan of seed oils? I mean, you know, I don't want to say much about that. I've got, I've got opinions about it, but I just, I want to be careful because I don't want to denounce something unless I really, really understand it well. I think they're generally, there's some thoughts that they're inflammatory and I think it's probably better to go away from them. Mm. But that's my personal opinion. I don't know enough to be, uh, you know, I don't know enough to proclaim something that I'm yeah. confident about. Do you have a diet you stick to then out of curiosity? I mean, I, I have a way that I eat. Yeah. I, I, the only reason I correct the diet thing is, you know, like if I really want a hot fudge sundae. Right. Actually, I, get, I eat a lot of those. <laughs> I, should, Me too. I just pretended that that was a occasional thing and that's yeah. a lie. You know, that's just not true. But, but you know, I tend to not eat grain, really. Not much grain at all. Yeah. So I eat meat and vegetables. So you don't eat Chipotle anymore? Oh, no, I do. Oh, Chipotle is, I, I mean, Chipotle is a good place because you just say no rice. Oh, no rice. You know okay. what I mean? Or yeah. get a salad. I tend to get a salad with chicken and peppers and, you know, right. sometimes beans, salsa. Chipotle yeah. is a great place to not eat grain. Right. Yeah. So you left corporate America in 2016, decided to get your pilot's license, travel the world. Why did you decide to do that? Because that's a big change in lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, I just think, you know, I, we had such a great run at Chipotle. It was awesome. It was really fun. Um, and uh, I think there was just... It's kind of it boils down to like life is short kind of wanted to go out and do some, you know have some more time i spent you know i was i worked very 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 hard at chipotle it was mm -hmm. it occupied all of my time i loved that it did it was it was really fun i it was almost like on any given day i'd feel like I'd, i would do it for free because mm -hmm. i loved it it was great 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 fun um but you know i i when i when i left i i wrote my book you know and i've written another book now which is coming out on june 6th mm -hmm. and uh that one's called no one is a stranger it took me forever to come up with the title and finally I read it again and that sentence was in it. And I mm. said, yeah, that's the title for the book. Interesting. And title. this no one is a stranger thing, by the way, it gets back to kind of what I was saying about my love for understanding people. I think the most important thing you can do in the world is, you know, connect with people. Yeah. I mean, in terms of your own personal happiness, right? I already said that I think everyone will be rewarded based on their effectiveness and making others better, but how can you make others better without connecting with them? You can't. But if you connect with people really effectively, it's a really satisfying thing because there's a lot of love flowing, right? There's, you know, and so my second book is really about, you know, how to make those connections. It, I talk about the things that get in the way of those connections. And I talk a lot about, um, uh, you know, how you, you live a much more fulfilling life when you get really good at connecting with mm. people and having relationships. And it doesn't have to be even long-term relationships. It can be, you know, that guy walking down the street in the tumbleweed town, walking by for one second, you can have a really pleasant, really loving, really deep, lastingly warm interaction in two seconds. Wow. Absolutely. Just eye contact? I mean, have you ever gone to a grocery store, at, you know, and, and someone kind of like someone behind the, you know, at the checkout counter sort of said like, hey, how are you doing? You said, good. Hey, I hope you have a good day. And they kind of meant it. Yeah. They kind of like, oh, cool. It kind of felt Yeah, good. that's happened to me, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Or you've had the opposite, right? Yeah. Or some guy's like, hey, next. Yeah, her, yeah. okay, here you go. Here's your change. You're you want a receipt? No. Okay. Next. You know, right. and you kind of feel like, Ooh, that didn't feel very good. Like right. you might not think it cause we're used to it, but I always realize it like, cause mm. I'm looking, it's, it's just, that's, it's a passion of mine. Right. So I, I'm, I'm always going, Oh, that was a, that I'm always feeling what it feels like. I mean, being with you two guys in the room right now could feel great. It could feel somewhere in the middle. It could feel terrible. Mm -hmm. How right? does it feel? It feels good. <laughs> no, it feels really nice. No, I think it's, it's, I mean, I, I think of you guys both as like genuine and curious guys and curiosity is, like I say, it's flattering because it's like you're interested in something I have to say. Cool. I'm glad to talk, you know, mm -hmm. but it could be really weird if you were really cold and, you know, like really judgmental mm. or like I'm saying something and you're like, oh, they're going, oh, God, I don't agree. I don't agree at all. Right. It's not, it's not even about that you have to agree. 
It's about, do you respect what I'm saying? And are you curious about it? Mm. If you disagree in a way where you're curious, like, hey, you know, you said something, I'm not sure what you mean. Let me, you know, but if there's curiosity, then it feels good. Right. If there's judgment, it feels bad. So curiosity is, is always loving. Curiosity is always loving. That curiosity is loving. Judgment is always not loving. Right? And judgment isn't, yeah. I mean, unless you're going, yeah, I judge that it's going to be a thunderstorm today. I'm, I don't mean that. I mean, but judging a human being negatively, right, that's never feels good. You know, and so um, when I, you know, I'm kind of famous for asking a lot of questions, mm -hmm. you know, um, but I've never had someone be offended by my questions because I'm only asking them to understand someone better. Mm. And that is flattering. Why? If I ask you questions, what have I just done? I've just promoted you to the position of my teacher, at least momentarily. Mm. Right. Even if I'm walking down the street, and I go, hey, do you, you know, again, back to the town with just two of us. Nice to have you. Hey, dude, how are you doing? My name is Monty. Which, oh, my name is Sean. Cool. Good to, good to meet you. Do you know what the weather is going to be like this afternoon? Because I'm going to be flying out this afternoon. You know what the weather is like? Let's say you happen to have just watched TV and you know the weather. Don't you feel kind of good that you can tell me? Yeah. You know, like, hey, yeah, actually, you know what? I just saw it on TV. There's going to be a thunderstorm. Yeah, about you two feel helpful. <laughs> I mean, you feel helpful. Yeah. Right? And while you, so it feels good to you to help me. Yeah. It always feels good to help someone. Right? And it also feels good to be helped. Mm -hmm. It's a win-win. Yeah. And, and these win-wins are available everywhere in the world, every day, between everybody. Mm. But people don't realize it. So you have too many people living from ego where they think that they're trying to extract something from someone to give them what they want, right? Yeah. But the reality is, you don't need to do that. You don't need to extract from someone because what you can instead do is by asking someone a question, for example, you promote them to the position of being your teacher. You give them an opportunity, like my silly example about the weather, to mm. be of help to me, which feels good to you, and also helps me, which was nice because I needed the help. Yeah. Win-win. Boom. Yeah, I love that. It could be 10 seconds long and it could be really feel nice. Mm -hmm. Hey, I had the neatest, you'd be, it would sound silly, you know, if you went and told your friend, you know, I had the neatest relationship today for four seconds with a guy in the street. <laughs> but you could just say like, God, I had this real quick interaction with someone on the street. It just felt really nice. It was cool. And if you have six of those a day, let's just say six of those really nice interactions with someone that go deep, that have some meaning, that have some help or some back and forth or some connection or some need that's fulfilled, that brightens your whole day, brightens mm -hmm. your whole life. You know, yeah, and that's why you know, I, I was just giving a speech yesterday to uh, to a company, and I was saying how powerful the words "I need you" are. It's the most powerful words in the world for so many reasons. Number one, if I say, "God, Sean, I really need you," first of all, even if you're a dead stranger, you're probably not just going to go. I don't even know you. You probably won't say that. Mm. You know, you probably say like, "Oh, well, what do you need?" Now, if I say I need a million bucks in cash, small unmarked bills, you're going to be like, "Okay, dude, you know, I'm not going to give you that." But if I say, you know. I just need to hold this door for a minute because I'm going to move this, you know, cart through. You'd be like, oh, cool, mm -hmm. right? You want to help me. Why? Because it, humans generally are inherently good and want to help one another. And they feel good helping one another. Mm. So the words I need you say they, they promote you again to someone who can help me. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you are, in a, so, you are in a superior position to me. Mm. As soon as I say I need you, I've made you my superior. Right. That doesn't matter. If I'm CEO and you're a guy who started at my company yesterday and I say I need you, I just promoted you to my superior. You are now superior for that moment to the CEO. Mm -hmm. Okay, that feels good. Yeah. Okay, but also, what does it what does it mean for me to say I need you? For me to say I need you means I have just call I've just made myself vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I've just told you I'm not an impervious dude who has all the answers, who has all the skills, who has all the strength, who can do it all himself. I just said I don't mm. have all the skill, all the strength. I need you. Right. That that busts me wide open to be an actual real human being. That shows that, that, and that vulnerability, okay, allows room for a real connection. Mm -hmm. It allows room for value, for love to, 
to flow between us. It's powerful. Yeah, and that love can flow between any two people, anywhere in the world, at any time, if they allow it. The yeah. problem is, most of us don't allow it. What gets in the way of allowing it? Defensiveness. Defensive fear, mechanisms, yeah. Right? It's like fear. It's like, God, if I become vulnerable to you, and I say, God, I really need you, you might say, oh, piss fear off. Fear of rejection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whoa, he just said, piss off. Ouch. You know, <laughs> I put myself out there, and he said, piss off. That hurts. We've got, to, we've got to risk being hurt to so, make a connection. So if you could go back in time and whisper something in your own ear to when you took over at Chipotle, what would it be? Mm. It's going to work. Okay. I believed it would work anyway, though. And when I say it would work, I mean this style of leadership that I'm alluding to here, yeah. right? Which there's a lot to it. It's all in my book. And stuff. But you yeah. could have used some extra reassurance. I mean, it would have been, I mean... There were people who doubted it at the mm -hmm. beginning a lot, and those doubts faded quickly as it began to work really, really, really well. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, if, if I had some gray-bearded, you know, godly figure who could somehow say, <laughs> on my shoulder, my son, excellent, this will work. Yeah, I would have, I would have, maybe my blood pressure would have gone down 10 points. That wouldn't have, that wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Monty, it's been a blast, man. You've yeah. learned a lot. Um, any closing thoughts where people can find out more about you? Well, my website is loveisfree.com. Um, I got a book coming out June 6th called No One Is a Stranger. The point of that book is really, it's more the soft, gooey, philosophical underpinnings of mm -hmm. why I led the way I did at Chipotle. Mm. So I wrote Love is Free, Guac is Extra. That's about the leadership and exactly how to do it, sort of. And then this book is sort of like how I think and how I think about things like love and God and truth and authenticity and mm -hmm. ego and those things. And so, yeah, it was really fun to write the second book. And so maybe people, hopefully people will enjoy that. Um, and... Uh, yeah, you know, no, it's been a pleasure being here with you guys, and I appreciate your interest. Absolutely. I'll definitely check that book out. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Digital Social Hour. I'll see you next time.